0: Well, tonight, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at a very controversial passage. Um, if You've heard me mention this passage many times from the pulpit. I'm not even going to tell you why, but once we read it, you're going to remember why you've heard me mention it. And there are three major themes that are discussed in this passage, but I'm only going to have time to deal with one of them tonight. I may come back and deal with one of the other two passages next Wednesday night. Um, I think we dealt with one of them on Sunday morning in the message from the Ten Commandments. So there are three major themes, but I want to talk to you about tonight why biblical doctrine really matters. And if there is an unpopular word in our culture today, it's the word doctrine. As a matter of fact, if I say the word doctrine in here... I can just about guarantee you that about half of us are going to have a negative feeling because we have been taught that way, that no one can be absolutely sure of truth. No one can be your truth and my truth may be different, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not really what science teaches either. And remember that theology is the mother of the sciences. Theology is how we got science and anchored in the word of the Lord. So, tonight we're going to look at a passage that teaches you and teaches me from Jesus' own lips of why doctrine really, really matters. I remember when I first took my first class on doctrine, New Testament doctrine, in Bible college. I was so excited because, in my mind, I was going to be able to prove. All of my points and everybody else was going to be wrong. There was this sin of pride that was creeping into my young mind. And our professor just called out those young punks like myself that thought all of a sudden we were going to be the paragon of truth and we were going to be able to crush our theological opponents. And he called us to humility and he called us to walking with Jesus humbly, loving lost people, loving people that didn't understand. So the reason to study doctrine is neither to become a Pharisee or a Sadducee. When our kids were little, we used to teach them a song to sing. They may still do it in children's church, sometimes around here. One of the lines was, I don't want to be a Sadducee because a Sadducee is Sadducee. And so we, we taught that to them. The Pharisees were the very legalistic ones. The Sadducees were the conservative. They only accepted the first five books of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, those are the only books. They didn't accept the prophets. They didn't accept the wisdom literature or anything of that nature. They only accepted the first five books. They even rejected the, um, the historical books. that told their own story. And so if they couldn't find it in the first five books, they rejected everything else. And Jesus is going to turn their world upside down. And all of this is necessary to understanding the passage because... They didn't even believe the question that they were asking. So all of this, I think, kind of gives us a setup to understanding this passage tonight. So let's look at it in Mark, the 12th chapter, verse 18. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. And you're never going to forget that argument, because a Sadducee is Sadducee. Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they posed this question, teacher... Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. If I was the fourth brother, I would have moved to Syria or Egypt one. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Well, Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven, But now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses, those first five books, is the story of the burning bush long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died. God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is, read it with me, the God of the living and not the dead. You have made a serious error. Let's read that again. He is the God of the living and not of the dead. You have made a serious error. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 38, you read, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits. They simply believe that when you died, you died. That was the end of your life. They have some very pessimistic writings about death. And again, that's death and dying in heaven and hell. Those are another subject that we won't talk about tonight But again, you could see why a Sadducee is Sadducee, because what are they living for? If there's nothing, what do you have to gain? As a matter of fact, this is what Marx, this is what Engels, this is what every dictator that has wanted to do away with belief in God, the reason they've had to rule their nations with such an iron fist and have secret prisons and secret courts is because when people have nothing to look for in the afterlife... Then they live by the red law of the fang of the jungle. They kill, they steal, they destroy, because who's to say? There's nothing there. You may as well go for all the gusto you can get, and it doesn't matter what happens to anyone else. And so that's one of the reasons that the Sadducees were in league with Rome and with the Herodians. Herod was this half-Gentile, half-Jewish king that was a very cruel king. So when you understand who's coming, and by the way, in the book of Mark, this is the first time we've been introduced to the Sadducees. Just to kind of drive it home, there are some important things that are coming up here. The law of the lever at marriage, that if, 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 you're, you, if you, you died and you left your wife behind without any children, your brother was supposed to marry your wife and have children, that was the social security system of the day. One of the most vulnerable people in all of Israel was the widow and the orphan. And so that was a way of not only protecting the widow, but ensuring, remember the tribal lands and the tribal inheritances, that they stayed within the family. Jesus teaches a definite male role and a physical role here that, that uh, women are given in marriage and men uh, take a woman in marriage. He's Again, delineating these roles. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday. I'm not going to get into that tonight. But there's a lot about marriage. There's a lot about eternity, death and dying, what happens after you die. So I want to talk to you and just prayerfully choosing this passage, if you're going to understand what happens after you die, if you're going to understand a biblical concept of marriage, then you've got to understand why biblical doctrine is so important, and you also got to understand why we don't live by the leveret marriage law anymore. Paul deals with that in the book of First Corinthians, and we'll, again, we'll deal with that later. So one of the first things I see here is sound biblical doctrine really mattered to Jesus. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it matter to Jesus. When I talk about doctrine, that's what I'm talking about. Knowing what you believe. And why do you believe that? Why do you believe that Christ died for our sins? Why do we believe that we are saved by faith through grace? Why do we believe that salvation is open to all who would call upon the name of Jesus? Why do we believe that Jesus is coming again? Why do we believe that God created the heavens the earth and all that's within them and created us and breathed his life into us? Why do we believe in marriage so strongly what are these, why are these things, what are they rooted in? Well, it's rooted in why you believe what you believe, and we anchor everything in the Word of the Lord. As you know, here at Woodland, when we have a question, or when we have a decision to make or a question to make, we always ask ourselves, if you remember it, say it with me, what does the Bible say? Oh, I'm so proud of you for remembering that. People came up to me Sunday and said, Aren't you proud that everybody knew that the Ten Commandments were not given to enslave us, to enrich us? I said, yes, because that means people are listening. Let's look at verse 27. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Circle that phrase, the scriptures and the power of God. And then Jesus makes his powerful statement, he is the God of the living, not the dead, you have made a serious error. Friends, look at what he's saying right there. He's saying to us that the people who died in faith are in some way still alive in Christ. They're not resurrected. They don't have their bodies, but they're still alive in Christ. The Sadducees just couldn't buy that. One of the reasons is the Bible's emphasis on the fact that you can't really separate us into body, soul and spirit, you know, that you can just slice those up and say, here's the body, here's the soul, here's we make one complete. That's the reason that that those that have died in faith, they're longing for the resurrection, just like we're longing for the return of the Lord. It would be senseless to say God is the God of a dead Abraham. It would be senseless to say, for instance, of my father, God is the God of the dead Buford Clannon. My father's alive in the presence of the Lord. He's alive, and we were looking at some video this evening that one of our family members sent us of relatives that were on VHS tapes, and just hearing their voices and seeing their faces and seeing our kids when they were little, interacting with them, and little Benjamin reaching over into a a nursing home bed to grab a hand of a a great-grandmother. Seeing those things moved us tonight. We were just going, oh, look at that. Oh, can you believe that? But to know that these people died in faith and they're in the presence of the Lord. And Jesus says that's a serious error. When your loved ones die in Christ, take comfort. They're in the presence of the Lord. Notice, again, doctrine being important. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. My personal opinion is biblical doctrine is learned best when we're together like this, it's learned even better when there's small groups of us that can sit around and eat a meal and talk about how we apply this to our lives. Like we do after these services on Wednesday night, we have a offline, we have a Q&A session and we discuss things that, are matter, that matter to us and we pray for one another. So first of all, Jesus taught us that doctrinal truth really matters. The apostles teaching, the biblical truth matters. Alan Bloom in the closing of the American Mind said this, in the culture that we're living in, and this book was written quite a few years ago, in the culture that we're living in, the point is not to correct the mistakes and really be right. Rather, it is not to think you are right at all. And what Bloom was getting at in the introductory pages, if you've never read this book, it was a mind blowing book for me years and years ago. The point is if you think you're right on something, then you're insulting everybody else. Jesus said, You've made a mistake. Jesus is not condemning. Jesus says, learn. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are weary. If what you're living for and follow, if it's not working for you, come to Jesus. If a lifestyle of of promiscuity is not working for you, if a lifestyle of greed, if a lifestyle of dishonesty, if this is not working for you, if a lifestyle of self-centeredness has not brought joy and peace to you, come to Jesus and learn from him. He's not going to condemn you. But sometimes you have to say, this is right and this is wrong. And I think that's why we've tried to take a really positive approach to the Ten Commandments. But who's to say that it's wrong for me not to be unfaithful to Becky? Who's to say it's wrong for me not to be honest? Who's to say it's wrong for me not to be covetous? Well, there is a standard of right and wrong. And throughout this series, we've looked at how these doctrines they enrich our lives. They don't enslave us, but they also help us to live together peacefully, harmoniously, and to connect with one another. The Bible also goes on to say, and I'm using one of Paul Gorky's favorite translations, the amplified version, <clears throat> Titus chapter one and verse nine. He must hold fast to the sure and trustworthy word of God. As he was talking, it's talking about a Pastor now, so that he may be able both to give stimulating instruction. I don't want to bore you, I don't want to make the gospel irrelevant, stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound, wholesome what doctrine, and to refute and convict those who contradict and oppose it, showing the wayward their error. you know. I do believe they will know we are Christians by our love. I believe that with all of my heart. I practice that with all of my heart. I'm not as good at it as I want to be at it. I growing in that every day. But there are times when I have to confront wayward doctrine and wayward errors. And the joyful thing is when people will sit down with the Word of God and listen, but I've also seen those times where people have just they blow up like a cat's hair standing up on the back of their back and they get angry because they don't want to be corrected from the word of the Lord. And maybe they've got their theology from a television show. Maybe they've got their theology from YouTube. Maybe they've got their theology from some theologian that's decided he doesn't believe in the Bible. And so he's just trying to make Jesus a historical figure, but take the wisdom of what Jesus said and live by that. Sometimes You have to correct. Don't you correct children when you love them? Hello? Don't you correct your child when you love them? Don't you correct an employee that you might have if they're about to do something that would get them shot? Uh, Someone that we know that we're very close to uh, grabbed something that he wasn't supposed to grab before he could be stopped. He was knocked off the ladder flat of his back on a concrete floor. If there had been a good electrician like Vic there, he could probably stop that really quickly. But as a result, my friend is living with back problems now for years and years because of not being corrected about what he was doing wrong as he was learning. Look at the next passage, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. When we correct, we're not supposed to be boorish. We're not supposed to attack. We're not supposed to be bully. We're not supposed to act like we're better or holier than thou. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be kind to everyone, must be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Underline that. Be patient with difficult people. And if you ever see me slacking in that, would you be a good coach in my life? Would you be a good mentor in my life and go, Pastor, you can do better than that? I mean, would you cheer me on to be patient? Gently, look at how he says it. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps, look at it, it's not a guarantee, Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn from the truth. I have met both kind, those that can't be persuaded and those that will listen, those that build a following around what they're trying to get. Sometimes <clears throat> I've had people even come to me and say, you know, people are, done, are teaching this because they're trying to build a following. They're trying to make money. Sometimes people do it out of envy and jealousy. You have to leave that in the hands of the Lord. But our attitude must always be one that is kind. Circle that. Kind to everyone. All of us should be striving to be able to teach our children, our friends who ask us about the faith. We should all be gentle in how we instruct those that oppose the truth. And then we should always be praying, God, change their hearts. We used to sing a song, Years ago, sometimes I will even pull it out of the hat here and throw everybody off guard. Pastor Mark, I know you're listening. And it is called, Change My Heart, O God, Make Me Ever True. Change my heart, O God, May I Be Like You. You are the potter, I am the clay. Change my heart, O God. That's still a song I sing a lot in my prayer time because I want to grow in this. So let's look at the doctrine then. First Corinthians 15 verse 22 says, Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. Let's read that again. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, we're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. All of us. Trace our lineage right back. Death entered the human race because of sin and rebellion. However, everyone who belongs to Christ, those that have confessed faith in Christ, those that have given their lives to Christ, they will be given new life. New life begins now, When we die, there will be a resurrection that follows. And again, I'd love to teach more on the doctrine of what happens after I die, but let's just keep going with this. Number two, Jesus taught that doctrinal truth is the Bible correctly interpreted. Give you a moment to write that down. Jesus taught that doctrinal truth is the Bible correctly interpreted. Now, there are doctrines in other religions. There are doctrines that countries use. There are doctrines that are used in And classwork, because doctrine just simply means teaching. So when we talk about doctrinal truth here at the church, I'm not talking about a company or an organization. I'm not talking about another religion. Jesus taught doctrinal truth is biblical truth, and say those two words with me, correctly interpreted. Years ago, there was a man came to my study who had built a whole doctrine of just putting his nose in other people's business. And after I had been pastor here for a while, <laughs> several people came to me and had said, and I said, well, have you confronted him on it? And they said, yes, we've confronted him, but we don't know how to talk to him. Would you talk to him? And I said, you know, let's just wait until maybe if it happens in my life, then I'll talk with him, you know, because I just didn't know yet. I was still the new guy here on the block and One day, he actually got nosy, and so we sat down and talked, and he says, well, pastor, the Bible says, and he quoted a verse of Scripture, and I says, that's not what that verse of Scripture means. He goes, it's not? I go, no. He goes, well, that's what I've always believed. I said, well, I believed that cleanliness was next to godliness until I read the Bible for myself. My mama quotes that verse a lot. It's in the first epistle of Louise, you know? However, when I showed him, he humbled down. He goes, oh, I'm so, I have told so many people this. You know, the Bible has a lot, and as I shared with him, I said, the Bible has a lot negative to say about the busybody. The busybody is the person putting their nose into other people's business. He was humble. He was repentant. It changed everything. Correctly interpreted really matters. Jesus said to them, Mark 12, verse 24, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, if somebody came to me tonight and said, Pastor, you don't know the scriptures, that's a serious charge. If the church said to me, Pastor, you don't know the scriptures, that's a serious charge. If you're a Christian for any time at all and, and you have it begin to read the word and assimilate the word and... And, and, and able to share with others why you believe what you believe, it would be a serious charge to say, you don't know the Word. But they didn't know the Word. One of the reasons they didn't know the Word, they had rejected the law, excuse me, the prophets and the wisdom literature, and they had rejected the history of God speaking to His people. They were so ultra-conservative. Now, my conservative friends, and I count myself as a conservative, And when I say conservative, I'm talking about political thought. I'm not talking about political party. There's a big difference of those two today. But as a true conservative, but they as conservatives, they decided just the Torah mattered. What did they ignore? They ignored God's power. They ignored God's power. They wanted to box God into the first five books of Moses. So Jesus looked at them, and, and, uh, and Luke, let's go, because this is in the parallel passage of Luke, and Jesus replied, marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like the angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. Take a look at this with me. Because they disbelieved the power of God, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Now, this is not putting a gold star by the Pharisees' name. I just want you to understand. They believed in the resurrection because they accepted the Psalms, they accepted the prophets, and they accepted the historical books. But the Sadducees, again, this, I would be Sadducee if I believed that when I died, it was all over. You know? So Jesus is saying those worthy of being raised from the dead. That's impossible unless God is who He says He is. That's impossible unless Jesus is going to do what He said He was going to do. Sometimes if you've ever been to a funeral I preached and you've come to the graveside and, and, and we're able to have a graveside, and most time we do those here in Michigan in the summertime or the fall when it's, the weather is nice and we can be outside at the graveside, I will look around and say, look around. Every single grave, that contains the body of someone that died in faith in Jesus, one day that grave is going to be empty when Jesus comes again. Come on, victory. That's the power of God. That's only going to happen by the power of God. Secondly, because they didn't correctly interpret the Bible, they were were taking their ideas about life here on this earth and they were projecting that into heaven. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit has really had to work on me on this idea and concept of no longer being married to Becky. I have told the Lord any number of times, it ain't going to be heaven if I'm not married to Becky. And I sure don't want you to let me die and her have seven other husbands, you know, before the rapture happens or something like that. You think, I I, I have to wrestle these things through. I have to to write and write. Somebody asked me today about my writing. I said, I'm a terrible writer. I just write out what I'm thinking, you know. But as I plowed through this, I realized I'm projecting what life on this earth is like in heaven. A few weeks ago, we talked about what life was like in the garden before there was any sin, before the animals fought with one another. I got an email when I talked about the fact that we could eat meat, and uh, somebody in our congregation that I love so much, they said, Pastor, I love you This is one of my biggest struggles with God because they're basically a vegetarian. And they said, you know, I just, I can't imagine killing an animal and eating it. And I had quoted Pastor Corey that morning. His favorite verse was, rise up, kill, and eat, you know. And he says, how could God, did God change his mind? I go, you know, in heaven, things are going to be different. I understand your struggle. I do. I understand it. I don't have a really good answer for you. You know, I will be eating a steak when this 40-day fast is over. As a matter of fact, I already told Becky what I want when this fast is over. But the fact is, is we can't project what we think heaven is going to be like by life in this fallen world. It's going to be so much better. And as much as it pains me to say this, I shouldn't say pain me, as much as it's hard for me to grasp, what could be more joyful What could be more pleasurable than a solid, loving marriage relationship in this life? And yet, as Billy Graham said, one glimpse of Jesus' face is going to make all other joys and all other pleasures seem like nothing. That's faith. That's trusting God's Word. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have to believe that. Then he says it again, they are children of God and children of the resurrection, But now, notice, we're talking about correctly interpreting the Bible. Will Becky and I know each other? Yes. Will Becky and I have a special relationship? I believe so, yes. Different than now, but yes. Because of this one statement, they will be like angels, okay? And in angels, remember I said he refers to the role of marriage where a man receives a wife in marriage, a woman is given in marriage. That doesn't happen with the angels, So learning to look at everything, the power of God, but they were also ignorant of God's word, God's word. And I don't want to rush this, but I want you to get all of this tonight. And so those of you watching online, if you'll just be patient and follow along as well. But now let's go to, we're going back to Luke because we need this parallel story of how Luke was recording what uh, Peter was telling Mark here. But he said, now as to whether the dead will be raised Even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had died. He referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Read it with me. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. Can you say amen to that? They're all alive to him. So what the Sadducees were doing, they were using a school of thought that's still with us today. They were using the school of thought called rationalism. Rationalism limits knowledge to man and the power of reason. Rationalism limits knowledge to man and the power of reason. To what human beings can know. To what human beings can experience. Superrationalism is what those who follow Christ... Super rationalism says is faith in God's word affirms God's power and God's truth. What were the two things that Jesus said the Sadducees were ignorant of? They were ignorant of God's word and they were ignorant of God's power, and his word is truth. Thirdly, submission to Jesus Christ, submission to Jesus Christ includes submission to the core biblical doctrines. And I wrestled with, should I use the word fundamental, essential, but I decided to go with the word core biblical doctrines. By this, I have very good friends. They're Christians. They're passionate followers of Christ. But they believe that God elects some people to be saved and that God supernaturally elects some people to be damned and go to hell. There's nothing you can do about that. So you could never know if your son or daughter was going to heaven or hell. I led a lady to Christ who grew up in that church. My father grew up in that kind of church. And, and when I found out where she came from, I called dad and said, dad, how do I talk to her about Jesus? How do I talk to her about this? And so dad gave me some scriptures and says, this is how you should talk to her. She gave her heart to Christ right here at uh, Henry Ford Hospital in Wyandot. worshiped with us for a number of years. And when she died, I had the joy of preaching her funeral. She gave me a little cross that's still on my desk and I remember her by and sitting in her grave a couple of weeks later, her husband gave his heart to Jesus Christ. But my friends who disagree with me on that, they're still Christians. The fact that they don't believe that it's to whosoever will, they're still Christians. I'm not going to brand them as heretics. I disagree with them, but I'm not going to brand them as heretics. However, if a group of people call themselves Christians and they deny the virgin birth, that's heresy. If a group of people call themselves Christians and they deny the, the inspiration and the infallibility of God's Word, that's heresy. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So you have to understand those core truths. And for us, it would be the Bible, it would be or God's Word, the Bible. It would be salvation. It would be uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It would be the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It would be his sinless life. Do you see what I'm saying? These are core doctrines for us. Here's a look at uh, Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized Jesus had answered well. Now, these Sadducees came to trap him, but this teacher of the religious law, and we'll get into this when we get to that passage, He had answered well. Here's just some truths I want you to take away from that. Heresy always rides in on the back of neglected doctrine. Heresy always rides in on the back of neglected doctrine. I don't like to preach about hell, but as you know, occasionally I will preach about what the Bible says about heaven and what the Bible says about hell. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's the truth that people need to know. And so we don't preach people into hell. We just say what the Bible says about it. It's an uncomfortable doctrine, but the Bible says it, and it doesn't matter if I'm uncomfortable with it or not, I still have to teach it. Do you follow what I'm saying? But if you neglect that truth and you never talk about it, then we get these subliminal messages from the culture that we live in that everybody goes to heaven. Because all the movies are about heaven, and they make these beautiful movies about walking through this mist, and there's your wife, there's your child, they're waiting on you, or maybe you're going to take your life, and there's your, there's your mother and father saying, come, we've been waiting on you, it's time, and so you, you, you commit self-murder, and you take your life, and 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 maybe those are demonic deceptions. You know, there's definitely subliminal truths that are even being given to our children because all good dogs die and go to heaven, right? And so you get these messages that begin to influence us more than the Word of God. Yesterday, a man from our church told me, he says, during this fast, I go upstairs and I read my Bible rather than watch TV because I want to immerse myself more. I was so proud of him when he said that. I can promise you in his life, there will be no neglected truth if he continues to keep that up. False doctrine and sin easily become entangled. False doctrine and sin easily become entangled. And I'll just let the scripture speak for itself here. Look at Luke 20 and verse 46. Jesus is still, this is the same conversation. Beware of these teachers of religious law for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at all banquets. Yet, circle that word yet. Yet, they shamelessly cheat widows of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. What's Jesus saying there? It's the same thing I said on Sunday morning. You, and, and I just ask you to repent. You may come to church. You may be guilty of breaking this commandment of not committing adultery. But you come to church. You show up for an hour. You pray the prayers. You read the word with us. You may be given the offering. But God is not fooled by that. And because, this is important, I want to make this connection, because they connected a form without a change of the heart, they felt no guilt about, they felt no guilt about cheating a widow. In the very beginning, the story the Sadducees use was of a widow marrying seven times. Why was the widow given in marriage? It was to protect her to give children to her. That was the social security of the day. And it was also to keep land in the family because she didn't own the land. The husband owned the land. What did I tell you there? They were the most vulnerable in society. And when you pray on the most vulnerable in society, that tells you a lot about your culture. Michael Roos is an atheist. In the book, Between God, between God and evil, he's quoted, and this is one of the most, he, he confesses to being an atheist, he, he just, he's very profound about that, but listen to this statement that he made. I think Christianity is spot on about original sin. How could one think otherwise when the world's most civilized and advanced people, the people of Beethoven, Goethe, Kant, embrace that slimeball Hitler And participated in the Holocaust. I think St. Paul and the great Christian philosophers had real insights into sin and freedom and responsibility. And I want to build on this rather than turn from it. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people in the world, they can see part of the truth. And when they see this, I think they're on the way to becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Any number of atheist philosophers have done that. Well, let me pray for us and then we're going to have our Q&A here. Thanks for being with us. Sunday morning I'm going to be talking to you about how to prosper, how to be financially secure by following God's word as we look at the commandment about being greedy and not being co- uh, not about not being greedy. Don't don't be greedy, about not being greedy and not being covetous. Let me pray for us all. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that are here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for giving us your book, your word. I thank you, Jesus, for how it proves true over and over in all of our lives, and I pray you will bless every diligent student of the Word as they study it together. In Christ's name, amen, amen, and amen. Good night. God bless.